internalize all of that and then I like harbor all of this responsibility, you know? You're gonna make yourself crazy. Like, <laughs> I honestly, am crazy. Yeah, you're gonna make yourself I crazy. I am crazy. Yeah. What's up everybody? We are so excited. This is episode one of You Think, brought to you by Audiorama and our proud presenting sponsor, Invisalign. This is a lifetime project of mine. This, this is something that I've lived since I was four or five years old, as long as I could remember. My life has resonated around sports. I grew up with a father who was a high school football coach at our public school. My brothers and I all played for him. Best moments of my life. My, my best sports memories are playing with my dad, trying to win state championships. The heartbreak, the, the, the fun, the exciting moments. I was fortunate to, to carry that on to go play at the University of Miami. And then, of course, 14 years uh, playing in the NFL. And, you know, and just sharing our journey and sharing the decisions and the thoughts and the conflict and the, and the problems that we face both personally as a family. What we realized really quick is we weren't alone. You know, we weren't alone in these struggles trying to raise children and get the best out of youth sports without ignoring and without taking for granted that there is a lot of negative that comes with it. You know, how do we separate those two and ensure that the experience remains about the children in a developmentally appropriate manner? And that's what you think is. And we had the opportunity at the Super Bowl this past year. You know, we've had some really cool conversations already. Um, our friends at, at Invisalign were fortunate enough to, to set up a studio. I was able to have an unbelievable conversation with Jerry Rice, and they set us up an NFL experience, and we got to kind of reflect a little bit about him. And, and it was at that moment where Invisalign and, and, and the folks there that, that run Invisalign said, this is what we want to be a part of. We want to take part in being alongside this journey and being with this voice where we can dive deep into all areas of youth sports, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything that comes along with it, because... This is an area that Invisalign is super passionate about, and we couldn't be more thankful. We couldn't be more humbled by their love and their support and their faith and trust in us as we try to tell this story. You know, so the, the big story in the news of today, especially, you know, anytime spring comes around and everyone, pitchers and catchers report, and then the spring training opens, and, you know, I remember in years past, I'd, I'd take my kids down with my wife. She's from Orlando, and we'd go down to spring training down at the Wide World of Sports, and we went and saw the Braves train. A buddy of mine, Gordon Beckham, used to play for them. Met him when he played for the White Sox in Chicago. We'd bring the kids out, and, and spring training always seemed like such an annual event. And, of course, this year, the big story with MLB, you know, Rob Manford, the commissioner, came out the other day and announced that opening day is canceled. You know, teams have not reported. Some of the minor leagues are in camp, and they're just kind of washing around. But the major league baseball camps have not started because there is a labor dispute. It's been a really ugly battle, you know, players against owners and you know, millionaires versus billionaires. And it's just an ugly thing. It's just terrible for the game. You know, it's, it's something that families around the country look forward to. It's a sign that spring is here. It's a sign that, you know, we're going to have games on almost every single night and we're going to be at the ballparks. You know, some of the most iconic venues and sports throughout the country, you know, Wrigley Field and Yankee Stadium and Fenway and those places are going to be empty. You know, they're going to be empty for the foreseeable future because business gets in the way of sport. And I think we as a viewer and as fans, we've come to accept that with our professional sports. We've started to accept that now with our collegiate sports. And what if I told you that the concept of sports and business intersecting and causing issue isn't just unique to that level? What if I told you that business and sport is now intersecting as early as eight and nine and 10 years old? What if I told you that the youth sports experience in America is just a big business? 
It's a group of individuals. It's a group of companies. It's a group of institutions that have just kind of monopolized individual areas of the country to run a for-profit entity, which should be just about serving kids and introducing them to games that hopefully they're passionate about and introducing them to sports that one day they could continue to pursue and, and build a life off of, or just sports to go hang with their friends and just be a part of a team and learn the lessons and the, you know, the amazing you know, experiences that come with that. But unfortunately, you know, it, for anybody in this country who has a child who's at a young age that's playing rec baseball or playing travel soccer or you know, playing flag football or seven on seven or whatever it is, we all realize that, that that's just not the case. The, the days of the innocence of sports and where it's just a bunch of kids getting together with a coach who loves it or a parents who love it and are just there for the betterment of the kids, those days are few and far between. And that conversation, the decisions that every family must make in order to just have their child participate in this world is the genesis of what you think is. All of these decisions about navigating this world, my wife and I would sit around and say, you know, how do we serve the needs of our individual children? How do we make sure we put our children in the right environment that's best for them and allows them to pursue their passions and pursue what really motivates them? But right now, the environment that we're creating is there is a decision behind every door. There is a decision on what sport you play, how many sports you play. Do you play with your school? Do you play travel? Do you play rec? Do you play, you know, do you go to individual academies? Do you work with personal trainers? At what age do you work with personal trainers? I mean, it's, it's endless. And our goal here with you think is to go out and provide those resources, have those conversations and gain those perspectives of professionals throughout the country, whether they're athletes, whether they're coaches, whether they're psychologists, equipment manufacturing, trainers, all, all areas. We are going to explore it all with the sole purpose of giving our viewer and giving families in this country an opportunity to make the best decision for their family with the most information possible. So for our first episode, there, there was no question in my mind as we started to build the storyline arc of what Youth Inc. was going to look like moving forward into the future. The launching point and the starting point for this conversation, in my mind, was with a gentleman named Dr. Michael Gervais. I was familiar with Michael Gervais for a long time, for years. Everyone in the NFL circle is very familiar with his work with the Seattle Seahawks. He wrote a book with Pete Carroll following their Super Bowl runs. Uh, he works very closely with Olympians, Fortune 500 CEOs. He's a, he's a very well-known sports psychologist in this world. I last year, 2020, my last year in the NFL, I went out and joined Seattle. It was in the middle of the pandemic. It was COVID. There was no in-person meetings for the first few weeks we were together. And on one of those Zoom calls, one of the team meeting Zoom calls, up pops Dr. Michael Gervais. And it was my first time ever hearing him speak. Everything else that I had heard about him was secondhand, thirdhand, just you know, glowing remarks from guys that I played with or other coaches. And I finally had the chance to hear his perspective and to hear him share about mindset and accountability and what makes the best teams and you know, so on and so forth. And then I found myself sitting there as we're kicking around this, what does this arc look like and where, do, where does this story and journey begin? And he was the first name that came up. So I reached out to him, you know, reconnected from, from our experience together, meeting each other a few times in Seattle, and he immediately said yes. A lot of you probably already f uh, follow his podcast, a uh, highly successful podcast called Finding Mastery. 
the conversation was fascinating. So much of it hit home with me. We could have talked for four hours. The, the insight and the perspective that he offered into all things, the relationship between players and their coaches, the relationship between players and parents, how to talk to your kid, how to deal with adversity, how to push your child but not overdo it. The journey we're going to take you on with you think and the journey that I'm looking forward to going along with you couldn't have started with a better voice. And without further ado, after a long time coming, after a lot of work and a lot of love, we are so proud to present You Think, brought to you by Audiorama and our presenting sponsor Invisalign and our conversation with internationally renowned sports psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais. For our first ever episode of You Think, um, the one person we knew when we set out to build this show for the last year, there was one person I had in mind and we met very briefly my time last year in Seattle in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of COVID, we were on a brief handful of COVID of uh, Zoom calls together. And that's when I was first exposed to you on a deeper level. I was familiar with a lot of your work and familiar with your work with Seattle and Russell over the years. So without further ado, our first ever interview for you, think Dr. Michael Gervais. I'm stoked to be here. Thank I'm, when, you. When I, uh, when I sent you that text to, to kind of give you the soft pitch and then you were nice enough to respond and we spoke for a, a little while that night, I was able to give you kind of the, the genesis of what this show was and why I thought your voice was so important to this. You know, the, all the years you've spent studying sports psychology and the ability of the mind and performance and, and your time with speaking with parents and coaches and you know, young athletes to old, I just thought your perspective was the perfect launching point for everything that we hope you think explores and the directions that we still don't even know potentially where they could go. And we just thought your voice was so important and it was so unique that we're just psyched that it finally all came to be and we're sitting here across from one another. It's awesome. It's, it's amazing how timelines and passions yep. merge together. So congrats on, on yeah. laying a tall tent pole for something that really matters to people. Well, I appreciate it. And I know you've spent time working with, of course, Seattle Seahawks amongst other teams. I know you and Pete Carroll wrote a book together. You work with Russell, Fortune 500 company CEOs and executives, Olympians. And we can go up and down the list. You have your own podcast, Finding Mastery. But today, we are going to dump it, jump into a very complicated, we've spoken off camera about it, a complicated, incredible, but also incredibly frustrating world, and that is navigating youth sports. Mm. And, you know, as a father... And what really started the show is I lived this world, right? And me and you spoke about this. I've lived it. I grew up around it. My dad was a coach. And I find myself so many times having people ask me questions, my wife and I discussing, I don't have a lot of these answers. So like, what is the best case for these kids? And you know, where do we take them? What decisions need to be made? And I find myself saying, I don't have the answers. And it's a, it's a hard thing as a parent to feel like you don't know what's best sometimes for your own child. Yeah, I... So the, the joke is there's no, there's no handbook on this. Yeah. And so to get into underneath the surface of it, it requires us parents to work from first principles. And so it's not tactics. It's not tricks or tips or hacks or shortcuts. There's none of that in being a great parent. And so it starts from working with first principles that matter to you and your spouse or your, your co-parent. What are first principles? There's a handful of first principles that all humans need to explore. Am I going to approach success or am I going to avoid failure? Am I going to play it safe 
or am I going to get on the edge? And when you explore and work from first principles, the downstream micro choices start to make sense. For example, um, one of the first principles when, when my wife and I had our son, we said, what are the two values that we want to make sure that we can cultivate for this, you know, beginnings of a human, right? Like, what are those two values? And that was a first principle that would shape our micro choices as we go. So I think what, where we can do some service is to create a framework about how to get clear on first principles and then work from there. Yeah. So I guess my first question to you, and, and this is something I find myself saying a lot, right? I want my kids, when people ask me, why do you want your kids to play sports? The first two things that I say is, A, I want them to learn lessons, develop tools and resources and life experiences that I believe sports can teach unlike any other industry, mm-hmm. especially for young kids. Teamwork, perseverance, hard work, adversity, all of those things. But I guess my first thing is we got to define what those skills are and why are they so important. So I guess the perspective I'd love to hear from you is when people say, I want my kids to, to experience and develop these life lessons at a young age through sports, in your experience dealing with quote unquote successful people down the road, what are those life skills? Like what are those important tools that you see developed at an early age through sports that you see in common with the folks that you work with that are high achievers? This cuts both ways because some of the skills that are developed in sport are incredibly facilitative to become one's best. So all the ones that you just mentioned and yep. there's a whole litany of others. Right. There's also a downside. And, and so this is, it's not a clear picture in at being human. Humanness is, there's a messiness to it. Yep. But so the other side is there's some narcissism. There's some OCD and obsessiveness. There's, um, there's, you know, a whole host of responses with anxiety that come up with when pressure is built. So there's, there's the, the yin and the yang. There's the amazing and then there's the, sometimes the downstream unfavorable things that take place. Yeah. But to answer your question more concretely, let me pull back one more time. That's just to set the tone that this is not easy, right? If we push too hard, there's downstream consequences. If we don't push enough, maybe, maybe somebody can't quite figure out what they're capable of. And so the ones that I'm interested in, it starts with relationships. And so that's, if you just net the whole thing out, sport is a beautiful canvas to learn more about yourself, your relationship with yourself. Obviously, nobody does it alone, even individual athletes. They don't do it alone. There's coaches, there's support mechanisms, there's partners that you're gonna bang the ball back with, if it's tennis or volleyball or whatever. Nobody does this alone. So it's first your relationship with yourself, then your relationship with others, hopefully a relationship with you know, your community and the, the planet Earth. But there's also a relationship with winning and losing and mistakes and risk and anxiety. There's, so it's the relationship that you're building that sit, sits right at the center of sport. And, and do you see those common threads? Do you see any correlation between the people that you work with, the, high, you know, the highly performing CEOs, obviously the people in the sports arena, but the people outside the sports arena, do you see in your work with them correlation to those that were exposed to youth sports at an early age? Is there ability to connect? Is it, you know, is it connecting? Can you say, all right, I can tell this person experienced youth sports maybe through college, through high school, whatever element it was. Do you see any correlation there or is it independent of one another? 100% there's tendencies that are part of the fabric of sport that allow people to do well, yeah. right? There's a timeliness, there's a team mateness, not team 
um, not team cultivator, but to be good in sport, usually you got to be a good teammate. Yeah. So that's the relationship bit as well. There's the attention to detail. There's the work ethic. There's so many. And those show up in the business world. They, <laughs> hands down, those are some of the great attributes. So the short answer is yes. And then the other side of it is that th there's also arts. There's also community-minded projects. If we just looked at sport, I think it's a little too narrow, but it's a great vehicle to learn more about who you are, yep. right? And it's a great vehicle for parents to learn about how they want to help shape particular values and particular um, ways of thinking, ways of using their mind and their body. Yep. So it's a beautiful molded opportunity to be able to express the best of the human experience. And, and you said something interesting before. You said, you know, we are a product of the people we interact with, whether it's the person that you spend volleying the ball in tennis or your coach. And we'll get into some of those relationships because I really find that super fascinating I want to dive into. But, you know, there's always the age old question. Are we all products of just innate abilities? Are certain people just inevitably born with greater ability to achieve, whether it's cognitively or physically? genetics, you know, the whole nature versus nurture, or are we the product of our environment? Are we the product of the culture we, the culture we grew up in, the neighborhood, access to certain opportunities? And I always find that balance to be very hard. So what would you tell parents, you know, raising their child who's eight, nine, 10 years old, and they're experiencing sport, like not to make too much, the amount of parents I've heard say to me, well, well, my kid's not going to be a basketball player because me and my wife are tall or not tall. And I find myself just fascinated by that logic that we're trying to place like innate characteristics on eight, nine, and 10 year olds and trying to project that into the future to determine what sport your child should be exposed to at an early age. I, I just find that very fascinating. Well, the, call it 40 years ago, we first got exposed in the West that, to some of the practices that were taking place you know, in yeah. Eastern Bloc countries, right. um, Eastern Europe. And they were definitely scanning, probably still are at some level, scanning early biodata to better place, you know, from a physiological standpoint and a cognitive aptitude, place people in environments where they think they could be most successful. Now, here in the West, we, we value individualism much more. But you're, so we're, we don't really do that. But your point is, is it genetic? Is it, is it um, do you environmentally have influences? Or is it something that you can sort out on your own, you know, with your culture? It's both. It, it, you know, like it, anything, it, it's a combination, it, it's a combination of, both, yeah, of it. Right. It's harder if, if your biology or your physiology has some deficits relative to the other peers. Right. But look at Spud Webb. No, look, there's, look, yeah, there's always exceptions. Yeah, look at, look at Russ. Yeah. You know, no like, you know, so the, Russell Wilson, one of the great you know, quarterbacks, and definitely doesn't fit the prototype of the way that it's supposed to look. But then he with his mobility and his other attributes, he was able to shift and work in ways that, you know, led us to a Super Bowl, two of them, you know. And mindset. Uh, absolutely. And, and I know that's really your specialty yeah. and you brought up Russ. So how much of that mindset can be, right? When you talk to Russell Wilson, I had a time to spend with him last year and really see behind the curtain and just his approach and his mentality and all that. But how do we correlate and how, I mean, how do we bring that to teaching my 10 year old son? Right? It seems like a very complex, on the surface, it seems like a very complicated conversation to say, hey, you need to be like Russell Wilson, you need to develop it. How do we start implementing mindset and approach and all of those characteristics through youth sports at a young age that are applicable and that are developmentally appropriate? I love this question because two, two parts. One is I would hope that we don't say 
you should be like Russ. Yeah. You should be like Mike. You should be like whomever. Like what we want to do is to help cultivate based on our conversations with our, our little people, them to be their very best, whatever that is. And it's the aspiring to it that is the magic. It's not being it necessarily. It's the want, it's the interest, it's the environment that supports the right risk taking to be able to invite people to get right up on the edge and to love that. So before I go into the characteristics, I think this is materially important. You mentioned it earlier, parents are one of the reasons that people leave sport. Kids leave sport before the age of 11. The majority of kids leave sport before the age of 11. It's the car ride home. Yeah. It's also, there's an economic thing involved yeah, in it as well. There's an access bit. There's also um, coaching that's involved here, you know, good and bad. Yeah. But 11, majority of kids leave sport by 11 is a, f that feels like we are really butchering this beautiful, yeah. you know, opportunity for kids. So the car ride home, if you're talking about the way that we have conversations with kids, this is one of the most important parts of your kid loving going for it or feeling shameful or nervous about reporting to an adult how they did. So the simple question on the car ride home is, or the simple uh, engagement is something like this. I love watching you go for it. You know, I, I just think it's so much fun to see you try to figure it out. You know, what did you try to figure out today's, in today's practice or today's game? As opposed to, so um, how many points did you score? Yeah. Did, you, uh, did you notice that Johnny scored a couple points? Yeah. Did you notice that Jane actually was able to do the, the double and you know, you're still at the single? Like, what do you think that, that's gonna happen? And so it's rewarding in the conversation, the becoming. And that is the essence of how parents can show up in a meaningful way. I'm, I'm having this and right now I'm replaying every single car ride home I had as a kid and now every single car ride I've had with my children. And some car rides, I'll be honest, that I'm not proud of. There's been moments where looking back and reflecting and hearing you say that has all these visions bouncing back in my head where I do struggle with that. You know, and, and again- So, so I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. What, what, is the, what is the struggle? You know, the, the struggle for me, and, 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 I, and I think this is, again, an important component to why this, this project, this You Think project was so important to me, because not only am I thinking that I can go out and try to get all these tools and have these conversations with really interesting people who bring really unique perspective for everybody else, selfishly, <laughs> I need it, I want it for myself, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's, a, yeah. lot of my, a lot of the inspiration of this was internal. And my struggles, you know, I grew up with a father who was my high school football coach. Love him to this day. We coached the kids. He was hard as hell on us. Our car ride home after a tough game or after the state senior year or whatever state championship loss, like we lived it 24 hours a day. And I carry a lot of that with me and find myself doing some of the things that I didn't love as a kid. And also having hopefully the perspective of saying, okay, I need to pull it back a little bit. And it's very hard for me, the way I'm wired and what always served me well as a player was intensity. Nothing was ever good enough. Continue to reach for more, continue to practice and perform you know, outside of my comfort zone. You know, the deep learning, you know, the, the talent code, I don't know if you're familiar mm. with that book, but mm. the idea of never operating in a comfort zone and, and failure and what lessons you can learn, like that's always what drove me. But now I'm passing off all these philosophies of my whole life of sports on nine and 10 year old kids, you know, my nine and 10 year old kids. And 
I, there's times where as I, an adult, as an adult, trying to install, totally. which is a, a football, a very football word, right? Totally. Trying to install an operating totally. system, which and there's times where after Mike, mm -hmm. I can tell you, like after it all comes down and we go to bed, like I'll lay there and be like, I didn't handle that great, yeah, and I regret it. Do you talk to them about it? Always. Yeah. So so we used to think that couples or people, in, adults in relationships that fought a lot. Certainly, they're not going to make it. Certainly, this isn't going to work out. But what we know now from a research perspective is that the repair is materially more important than the argument. So there's some, there's some rules to arguing, yeah. right? And you don't cut the person. You work on the behavior that is affecting yeah. you. So if you can talk about yourself, this is good for parenting here. You can talk about your experience, but your coaching behavior and, and you're loving the person, right? So first of all, actually, let me go back up. Parents, parent, don't coach. Oh, well, that's, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Because I mean, that's for, another for big struggle. Love your kids, create the environment for them to explore, work on the value system, you know, yeah. and we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to get bit. to that because that, that's a huge component of this, yeah. not only for me personally, but just yeah. the, the arc of the show. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me role play this for a second. All right. So we have one of those conversations where you, you just know you didn't handle it great. You were too hard on them or you, the expectations you set were too much, right? Whatever. And you, I do feel like I can be honest with myself and reflect and be like, I didn't handle that great. Could have been better and replay it in my mind. What does that conversation, that conversation now, either before bed or in the morning at breakfast to hopefully reset, acknowledging, Hey, last night, daddy, I, I, I handled that wrong. Like I thought a lot about it. What does that conversation look like with a 10 year old, right? It's one thing to have that conversation with your, with your wife or your husband as adults. Mm -hmm. What does that conversation look like between a parent and a kid following maybe one of those poor experiences after a game or a practice? Honesty? Yeah. yeah. Vulnerability okay. first. Yeah. You know, um, it's a great chance to model, um, that you're not perfect. You yeah. are, you are hopefully still his hero yeah. or her hero. So modeling honesty and vulnerability is it. And so the vulnerability is like, allowing them to feel what you're experiencing, the, the letdown that you have, the, the sadness that you have about the way that you've treated this beautiful little yep. soul, you know, yep. and, and like, damn, you know, and just let them know that. Yep. And if you, it's not the words, it's the, it's the commitment to be real and vulnerable with them, yep. which pays, you know, there's a flywheel effect for that. Because when they see you as the hero also modeling strength in courage, in vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. That is, in essence, a great teaching opportunity um, to capture those opportunities. So you're saying there is a lot of value of your kids seeing you not perfect. Oh my God, yeah. And, and you know what? Here's where we make a mistake as adults, as parents, is that we come in, let's say we do have that high awareness, that recognition, like, oh, I just wanna do better. Yeah. What was I doing? First order business, before you go into the room to talk to them, is like, where am I coming from? Yeah. Like really do some honest work with yourself. Yeah. Where is this coming from? Is this from my parents? Is this from coaches? Is this from my anxiety that I'm gonna not be able to pass on everything that I know? Am I concerned about the way my family looks? Because I would say everything you just said is, it's probably all of those things so, so for do, me personally. Yeah, so do an honest inventory. Where is this one coming from? And am I tired? Are other stressors in my life happening and I'm just kind of kicking downstream, yeah, you know? And so real. you do that honest inventory and I would encourage you to write it down so it's not just this. Psychology is already invisible. 
So write it down to take the invisible and make it, make it something you can look at. Then you can work with that a little bit easier. And then once you get honest with yourself, then you go and have the conversation. And the mistake is not to do the first bit of work, try to sort it out when you're talking with the kid. And then what ends up happening is we use our mind, not our heart. Yeah. And it's a, it's a 30 year old mind or 50 year old mind with a nine year old mind. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's crazy. Use your heart. Yeah, it's not compatible, right? Yeah. That conversation, mind, yeah. mind, that's a really interesting way to put yeah. it. Yeah, and then last bit here is that if you go back to first principles, so say you're feeling something, you're aware of it, you've made some sense of that as an adult, and then you say, right, what do I want, what are my first principles I want to work from? And then when you go back into the room, you're working to help those amplified. And let me be really concrete. The first principle, two of the first principles I work with for my son is strength and kindness. And so I could double click under that and open up what those words mean. But almost everything I'm doing is those first. And then I'm going to layer on some other ones like creativity and, and, and. But I'm always working from those first principles. So I need to model them and then work from that place and, and then, uh, you know, challenge him to do yeah. the same. I think kindness, I, I think that's, relatively self-explanatory. I know that's that, but I'd be interesting when you say strength, explain that when you're saying you want one of your first two principles of raising your child kindness, of course, when yep. you treat others, when you treat yourself relationships, that's right. That makes sense to me off the top. When you say strength, like how do you define that? Like what does that mean to you as far in regards to raising your kid? I'd be curious about that. Can he do the hard thing when it's hard? And I'm talking about like being a global citizen. Yeah. I'm talking about being an upstander is a word my son introduced to me. Like that's how he thinks about it. That's interesting. Not a bystander, yeah. but an upstander. Yeah. Like standing up for yourself with dignity, for others with dignity. Like having the courage and strength to speak truth to power, to, to wave your arms even when there might be some tax on you to say this isn't right. That's interesting. And I, I just, I'm fascinated with the people that are able to stand with grounded presence and fully be themselves when it's hard to do so. It's easy to yeah. feel okay at home. It's easy, you know, it's great over a cup of tea or a glass of wine or whatever, like, okay, everything's nice and easy, but what about when it's hard? Yeah. So that's, that's the first principle. That's really interesting. I'm gonna segue a little bit, but I still think it's kind of related. Something that is, is a coaching philosophy of mine, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it, and I'll get to it, but you read so much, I talked about the talent code and, and what that book teaches and me, my first conversation with you about the 15%, always expose your child to maybe 15% outside of their comfort zone, 15% yeah. more than they're capable of in the yeah. moment. And um, there's a lot of science of that and learning and Which development. Which is hard to do though. It's very hard well, to thread it, that needle. What's 15%? What's, right, yeah, I that's, get it. it's really tricky to do. And so trial and error is how you do yeah. it. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and the the, the conversation that I find very difficult to thread to, to your point is what is the balance between putting yourself in a child where in a situation where failure is probably inevitable, hence growth development. Yeah. And then I read something where, you know, one of your, your quotes is that you believe by, and I know mindset has always been at the, the backbone of all your philosophy is how do you continue to find the balance between failure and the value of those learning lessons and continuing to build and sustain confidence, Okay. right? For a young child, it seems to be those two things are very connected. And, and there's two schools of thought. There's a lot of families that are friends of ours where 
we're gonna, they're gonna put their kid in a safe environment where they're always gonna be the best player and they're never gonna be outside of their comfort zone. They're gonna play in a little bubble. And they, after every game, they always do great because it's church league, it's rec, it's whatever it is. And then there's the other side of the argument. I would say I'm more to this side personally where your kid might, never be the, might not be the best kid on his team, but he's gonna be challenged. He's gonna have to work. If he doesn't play, his playing time's gonna go down. I'm not gonna go complain to the coach. You gotta fight for yourself. And balancing failure and confidence when you've moved back five places in the lineup because you're on a, like, how do we as parents find that balance? How do we find that 15%? Okay, it's really thoughtful. I'm gonna give you a couple of frameworks to work from. Yeah. And then there, there are some simple solutions here. But so um, this goes back to parenting. And one of the great things that we can do to help our young people is be on as close as possible to the same page with our co-parent. If you're not a co-parent, okay, well then it's your job to be really clear, right, about the first principles. Okay, so then if we double click underneath that, there's this idea of structured learning versus guided discovery. Okay, now this is a model. Yeah. So structured learning is I'm gonna teach my child how to, let's do basketball yeah. for just a moment. Yeah. Tuck my arm in, yeah. snap it, one, and then leave it at one o'clock and do that over and over and over again. And this is what a good shot looks like. Yep. And let's get our 10,000, 20,000 yeah. reps in it. The research is not 10. It's popular culture that it's The 10. Malcolm Gladwell book started the whole 10,000 hour and all of that. Well, it's born on the original research of Dr. Eric's, um, Dr. Anders Ericsson. Okay. Yeah. And when you look at the research, it's more like 17 and a half to 20,000. Really? Yeah. But 10,000 sounds it's, yeah, it was, a, little bit, it's a little more catchy. It's good. So <laughs> anyway, sold a lot of books. mastery <laughs> is a, a further extension okay. of it. But anyway, structured learning is that mechanism. Guided discovery is, hey, um, Susie, um, you want to you learn how to shoot? Yeah. Great. All right. Th there's the ball. There's the hoop. And maybe you'll lower the hoop so it's a yeah. six-foot hoop or right. whatever it might be. And then say, great, you know, uh, see, see how you do. Yeah. Figure, Figure it, out. it out. That's guided discovery. So... Structured learning, the kid will get better faster. Okay. Okay. Over time, guided discovery takes longer, but they know they know this angle, this angle, two hands, one hand. Oh, so they're explorers now. So it goes back to first principles. Yeah. Do you want them to be great at precision and rote, or do you want them to be explorers of their their capabilities? And that's a larger conversation. It, it might be better for them as basketball players in both the immediate and the near future. But as people, creative minds, problem solving, critical thinking. And I would, I would, I would maybe also. Maybe it's not. But I would, yes. And I would also add to it is that if I were to pick a team and I was pressured within 18 months to win something, structured learning. Yep. But if I am saying, okay, listen, 36 months, five years, 10 years, where do I want to lay my bet? Guided discovery. Because let's imagine a forward role. For yeah. example, so we've got our kid on the top of a hill, your kid, my yeah. kid. I'm going to take structured learning. You're going to take guided discovery. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case or not. I can't do a forward roll. Okay, no, 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 no. Right, so, okay, perfect. Then we can. We should you go do this. You might just have me yeah, right. teach me to do a forward roll. And I, if, if I said, hey, um, you know, forward rolls, like, just go for it. Figure it out. You would maybe go sideways. You go yeah. all different ways. But you would have better command of how your brain and your mind and your body are working as you're exploring. Just the tuck your shoulder, you know, go down, do it again and again and again, you would just get that skill. So over time, true masters of craft. Interesting. 
you want them to understand the fullness of this sport. Even if it leads to more failure early. So let's talk about failure. Failure and mistakes are different. Okay, so learning is what we're trying is what you and I are getting at right yeah. now. Okay. So we want we you and I want to learn. That's why we're in this conversation, yeah. right? We want our children to learn. So to learn, there's that right balance between intensity and deep focus and enjoyment. Now, it's not fun to get to that deep focus place. That is very hard to do, and it's rare. Most people don't go there. It's nauseatingly to get to that deep focus. So we have to create the runway of fun before it to help our kids get to that place almost accidentally. Okay, so mistakes happen when you are getting to the edges of your capabilities. Yep. That's where mistake. So as soon as my son gets to the edges of his capabilities and form breaks down and movement is kind of sloppy or, or he's, he's in a place where he's not quite sure, I'm, I am celebrating like yeah. a wild person. Right. Like, that's it. Okay, yeah. good. Like, how, how do we do that again tomorrow? Yeah. How do you get to that place again tomorrow? And he's like, Dad, I don't know. That was hard. And I say, that's exactly how this is supposed yeah. to be. Great. So were you having fun before? Yeah, but then all of a sudden, like, the game picked up and it got faster, 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 and every, balls were coming. The, okay. So what would be one way to calm yourself down so that you can slow it down? And now I'm working on a mental skill of calm and confidence yeah. to get to your point. So we want to we want to reward mistake making to get to deep learning. Okay? So we you hear that. Yeah. Adults hear that in business and they're like, yeah, right, fail fast, fail forward. We want to encourage mistakes. That's not true in big business. Those words are said, but as adults, we don't do a great job backing that. Yeah. Because if you fail too much, guess you what? You have negative consequences. That's right. Yeah. And if you make too many mistakes, guess what? And we're probably all guilty of that as coaches and parents. I know I am. 100%. You know, something we always talk about with our kids is we're, you know, a philosophy that I have is we're always going to make practice an environment that you're probably going to fail a lot. It's great. But I would use the, I would, I would strike the word fail. Mistakes? Yeah. Where you make mistakes? Yeah. That's we're we're going to structure this to be deep learning. Okay. And to do that, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Okay. Okay. So I would use mistakes and, yep. and learning and put those together. And then when mistakes are being made, that there's, there's different types of coaching. There's mastery coaches, coaches that are truly masters at bringing the best out of somebody. And then there's like amateur coaches, there's performance coaches, there's high performance coaches, but mastery coaches look at the being. Mm -hmm and are so curious, they're asking questions and they're using questions to understand what's already inside you. Because there's a fundamental belief that that person already has some insights. My job is to help illuminate yeah, them, them make them be theirs, rather than the expert over here. Yep. Wait, real quick, yeah. on the failure bit, I would challenge parents and coaches to really explore what failure is. And the, the cheap version is that there's a scoreboard, and if you don't have enough points, you failed. I think that that's, that seems ridiculous. Yeah. When you're thinking about cultivating human potential, the scoreboard, that's an important metric. Because if you don't get that thing right long enough, you don't get to play. Right. You know, so I understand it. But that is absolutely, there's a brilliant opportunity to redefine failure that in an authentic way that works towards growth. I, it's funny you say that because as we're, as we're venturing now, and we're going to get into this parenting coaching thing, cause it's a struggle that I've dealt with personally. But before we get there, it's funny. I hope the way I always tell the kids, the co the teams that we coach is the scoreboard is a byproduct. Yeah. I love that. It's right. We're not going into, so I'll take my nine year old son's baseball team that I coach. Mm -hmm. They're good. 
they're not the elite team in the country that's going to travel around. But locally, they're competitive. But they're nine, mm-hmm. right? They're learning to pitch. They're learning pickoffs and balks. And it's a lot on it to transition to kid pitch baseball at nine years old, right? And there's all forms of abilities and experiences. But the message that I always try to tell them is practice is going to be, and I, and I say this to the parents as well, practice on my team is going to be incredibly hard. We are going to challenge you. We, we are not going to punish mistakes, but we are going to correct, we are going to be hard on you if you make mistakes doing it the way you're not being coached to do. Mm-hmm. The outcome is secondary. Mm-hmm. Do it the way we want it done. And if you do it wrong a hundred times, if you do it right a hundred times and you fail a hundred times, we're good with that. Mm-hmm. But if you start doing it your way and the wrong way, and you do have success, we're going to correct you. And these kids look at us and they're like, well, what do you mean, coach? I fielded the ball and threw the kid out at first base. I said, but yeah, but did you field it off your left foot? No. So I'm going to correct you because I don't care about the outcome. Because my job right now as your coach is to make you always field it off your left foot because in 10 years from now, your chances are you'll be more consistent throwing the kid out of first base, right? So that's always been our, and our practices are hard and we are hard on our nine-year-old kids and we make them do it. And my whole philosophy of that is if when you're making mistakes and, you know, I know we don't want to use the word failure, but if you learn that that hard work and fighting through and now you can go into the game and have success, we've, I've, we've reinforced the connection between what it takes to have the success. We're not searching for success by any means necessary, mm-hmm. right? Like that's always been the philosophy. But as a result, I tend to be very hard on them and high expectations and very demanding. And then I take a step back and I'm like, am I accomplishing what I think I'm accomplishing? Well, what do you want to accomplish? I have, when I coach the kids' teams, I have an enormous amount of responsibility, inherent responsibility that I shoulder that every single parent who entrusted me with their kid, it could be basketball, baseball, whatever, it doesn't matter the sport, that I want every single one of their kids to be the best, to be the best baseball player, basketball player possible, all while learning what we started the conversation of. I am such a big believer in the value and in, in the tools of, of, youth, of youth sports, mm-hmm. toughness, perseverance, what dealing with people who maybe think differently than me, being part of something bigger than myself. Like to me, that's what youth sports is. And we're just using baseball or football, whatever it is as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's arbitrary to me. Mm-hmm. But I feel when you give your kid to me and we're working for two hours, four hours a week, whatever it is, like if I don't give him back to you better, and if I don't give him back to you with a better understanding of hard work and perseverance and toughness and skill and success and attitude, what all those things, I've failed and I don't want to fail any of these kids. Like I feel a, a real responsibility, not only to my three kids, but to everyone else's kids who give to me. And it's a lot. Yeah. So I, if I were to add to what you're doing, I would say stay with the philosophy that feels true and authentic to you. Because when you get pressed or you feel stressure, mm-hmm. s- stress, and you all of a sudden become a different person, you're going to lose people. So you're go- your philosophy is about a hard experience, yeah. right? And that refinement is going to come over time by being hardened, right? And the hard is on the left foot, great technique, understand yeah. your relationship with mistakes, and you're going to have adults coaching you pretty intensely. Yeah. And then I would add to that, that so that's technical and physical um, focus. So you're working on physical and technical, and you're saying that you want some of these other dimensional psychological bits as well. 
So I would add to it that I would almost over-rotate to, to foundationally setting up the psychological principles that you want to embed in it. So here's what's happening in, in pro sport right now. 20 years ago, did you have a sports psychologist embedded in the team? Nope. No. 20 years ago, was the mental part of the game important? Yes. Yeah, right? Like foundationally. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's and not what, new. What would you say at, in the pro level the importance of the mental part of the game is? I think it's more important than the physical. Yeah, right, because everyone's got the physical. That, that what separates truly great players is the mindset, is the approach, is, the, is all the mental components that go in. Everyone's big, fast, and strong. Exactly, right? And so, so what we're seeing now in big sport is that people are saying controlling coaches 60 years ago wanted to do it all. Okay, no problem, because that, that's where sport was. They were the life coach. They were the technical. Yeah. They were the nutritionist. They were yeah. the spiritual guru. There were a lot of things. And then science started to add to the mix, and they said, eventually they said, okay, let's get some S&C, strength and conditioning. Yeah. Let's get some medical. Let's get some nutrition. And now we're in the phase of let's get some psychology in. And the whole thing you can feel starting to become more robust. So no longer is it a sports psych in the best programs over there, referral outside of the building. There's, in, there's an embeddedness in it. And so I would encourage you to model that and do the same and say each, so this is how I would, if I'm coaching, which I'm not coaching my kids, each practice de develop one mental skill before it starts. So there's four minutes of the time that you're gonna carve out and you're gonna say, right, today I'm gonna teach you about confidence. This is how confidence works. You know, and then you're speaking to them. And yeah. listen, there's no secrets here. Confidence only comes from what you say to yourself. Yeah. That's it. It doesn't come from success or failure or mistakes or doing well. It comes from how you speak to yourself. So is it boys that you're coaching? Yes. So, you know, Joey, tell me how you speak to yourself when you're having a blast. Joey, when it's scary and you're working it way through and you feel something in your body, how do you want to speak to yourself? Joey, like, what is it like when you feel really confident? How do you, how do you speak to you? So you're just asking them to become aware of this, way, this relationship, the way that they speak. And then so I'd hit that at the top. And then the next one, or maybe hit that for a week. And the next week I'd say, right, we're gonna talk about breathing because breathing is really important for calming down. Yeah. And guys, we're gonna do some box breathing. Four seconds in, four hold, four yeah. out, four at the bottom. We're gonna do 10 of those before we get started. You're gonna get a little relaxed. We're gonna do that right now. And then I'd fire up the intensity. Yeah. So each week, really the responsibility that you have as a youth coach is really high for character, for philosophy, and for psychology. And so I would start with that. And you know, I'd love to provide resources for you yeah. and your audience about yeah. like, you know, what are some of those basic yeah. principles? We're gonna and get so, there. Yeah. That's our last topic. So hold, hold those thoughts. I got, one other, in really, again, I think a meat of this conversation is where I want to segue. And you've said it a few times. You've talked about relationships. And sports is a relationship-based industry, whether it's for young children all the way up through the professional levels. The interesting aspect relationship-wise at a young level is, and we, we said it earlier, the two pieces of this, right? There's the player, there's the child, there's the coach, and there's the parent. And let's assume the parent and the coach are two separate people for this moment. The bad experiences, and you said it before, typically are from the parent and the coach. The child, there's very few children who bring 
a bad experience to a team or are their own root of the bad experience. There's a few. There's just kids who aren't great team players. They have bad attitudes, whatever. There's, there's always exceptions. But in my experience, and I've probably been guilty of this for full transparency, where the parents and the coach typically one of those two things is. So I, I want to start with the parenting, right? Mm -hmm. and, th and this is a struggle that I have. I see two types of parents, right? I call them the drop-off parent and like the over-hype helicopter parent, right? Mm -hmm. They don't miss a second of whether it's a workout in the off-season, a tournament. They are like hyper-involved. And then there's the parent who makes the occasional game, never comes to practice, super casual. And there's times when I just spent two hours coaching 15 kids in basketball and I'm sweating and we're teaching and we're running and we're, and then the parent picks the kid up and they haven't seen a minute of what we did. Then I'm like, that sounds amazing. Cause I'm going to go home from this practice. I'm going to think about the practice. I'm going to think of every individual kid. How do I get them better? And how do I piece this team together where everybody has to play and give us a chance for the kids to have success and win and individual success, team success, right? And it's never ending. It's like this constant loop because I'm so vested in the kids' success, right? Awesome. I live yeah. it. Awesome, yeah. Well, it's awesome and it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. Right, and, and the root of that is that was my life as a player. It never stopped. Mm. And it served me well for 15 years. Mm -hmm. It doesn't serve you great when you're coaching youth kids. And like, that's the struggle that I have. So I guess my question to you is, is there one of those two scenarios or is it like anything where it's a little bit more in the middle of what does the involvement of a parent ideally in your mind look like? I think you and I will share an insight here. And if people knew what I knew about youth sport as a vehicle to become a professional athlete, to become an Olympian, parents would not be pushing their kids. If they knew the dark side, the scar tissue, the cost, the low self-esteem, the high anxiety, the suicide flirtation, if they knew what I knew, and I feel it now because there is pain when we push. There is pain when we're speaking to the doing only, and we are abandoning the essence of the spirit of the being, and people, kids get lost. So first, I just wanna, if we're not working from a place of true support, and we're not working from an earnest place to help them be the most beautiful soul that they can be, we are fundamentally wrong. And so there is a dark side to youth development. And if we don't get it right, we set up an adult experience for a long time where the scar tissue is too high. And so it's one of the most sacred positions is a mentor. And that's really what we are, is we are mentoring and shaping and being a resource for what success looks like as a being. Mm -hmm. And if we're overly keyed up about later success and we're not fully present seeing this beautiful little soul trying to figure it out, a little scared, a little excited, you know, like bringing joy to it. And then all of a sudden we hammer them on top of it because when they're 10 years older, when they're nine to 19, it's serious now. Yeah. So I need to prepare you now yeah. because it's going to be seriously. 
holy shit, like you know how long it takes to have any sense of mastery. Yeah. It takes a long time. And if we don't find joy in it, we won't spend the time in it over, yeah, you know, dizzy. Really so the dark side is so high. And I think that parents benevolently want the best and coaches benevolently do want the best. And so I just, it's just a moment to say, check in of where we're coming from. And most of us that are earnest and we want to pour into a young mind and a young body, we have a little anxiety because we didn't quite get all of it right when we were kids. That's why we're so on it at your age and my age to want to give back, right? Like the giving back usually happens later in life for people once they have yeah. had a full life and they've got time, but you're in the stride, yeah. you know, of, of building on, on your second career. Yeah. And so I think that there's an anxiety that we need to address first in ourselves. And in, if we can do nothing else other than honor the, the, the essence of the child and help them understand how to work with their mind to, to enjoy stress. Yeah. And so stress doesn't mean it's bad. Like we use it's that so word, like that, that it's, it's a bad word. It's actually, it's actually the mechanism to get better. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny to say that because just thinking of my own children, my oldest child, my son, who is highly competitive, he wants to be on the best team. He wants to get the ball in the championship game. Like he, he not only says it, which sometimes with kids, they could tell you what But he think. also wants your love. And one of the things totally. that he can do is get it from being, listen, he's got either a spotlight on him well, that's or he's I'm got right. a tall tent pole shadow. Well, he's got a combination because of, of your both. success. Locally, he's got a combination of both. That's and right. I internalize yeah. a lot of that. And, yeah. and that's something that I'm conscious of. Yeah. But as far as what you said about the stress, like the stress brings out the best of him. Mm. And then awesome. I have, a, I have my, my younger children, they're younger, they're playing at a little bit a different stage in the in the in the game right now like i have to be very con conscious that i don't introduce too much stress to them because stress is something that they don't handle as well so i guess it goes into my next parenting question it's a really good segue what would you say to parents that are navigating not only how to be a sport parent and a parent with children playing youth sports but within your own house you have kids of different skill levels different interest levels different one kid's playing competitive girl soccer and maybe your youngest son plays rec baseball. And so you gravitate towards spending a ton of time driving your daughter, son or daughter to a million games and tournaments because that's what their interests are and that's what their love is. So you support it. But then all of a sudden your other child's saying, how come you don't spend all this time doing these things with me? I, I like playing on my teams. I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's a really complicated thing that a lot of parents deal with in what they tend to do. And what I see firsthand is Everyone's going to just do what the first child did. Mm -hmm. And we're all just going to follow the same path. But my three kids have very different needs. My daughter's soccer experience is very different right now. Currently, she's young. She's nine. Than my older son's baseball experience. It's very different. And that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, right. That's Because awesome. if I put yeah. her in a really competitive environment like my older son is, I'm not sure she's ready yet. And that's okay. And I know there's a lot of psychology between how young girls develop mentally and young boys and within different genders. I get all that and I don't pretend to know it all, but I think that's a challenge. Oh yeah. It sounds like you're threading that needle pretty well. I, I and, don't, well, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. Know the child. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Know the child. And if you can do it in this order, cause we're talking about growth. Yeah. Support then challenge. So create the environment to support. So they know you've got a net yeah. that you're a backstop, like support in everything. Yeah. Right. 
and then challenge. Challenge just that 10 to 15, sometimes it's just the 1%, you know, a little bit more, a little bit better, a little bit sharper, a little bit easier, a little bit of letting go, whatever it might be, like support then challenge is the is the first principle. Yeah, It's interesting because, it, again, you're very good at segueing. It's almost like you have your own podcast. Um, it's like you've done this before. <laughs> so, you know, again, I, I look at the way when I'm at my, and some of the kids, I don't coach my older son's baseball team anymore. I used to. Um, I don't anymore. He's now plays on a different team with coaches that do a great job and I can be dad. Every once in a while, I'll help out at practice and run a drill or this off season, we did some strength and conditioning stuff where I would take them through like winter off season stuff. It was, which was awesome, which was a blast. That's, That's like fun. right in my wheelhouse, yeah, right, you know, yeah. no baseball, just we're going to get you faster. We're going to jump and run and whatever. Dude, I'd like to be coached by you with that fire and the intensity Man, and be fun. Well, and like not, yeah. Some people in town agree with you and right. a lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah, so right. it depends on who you asked. Um, but you know, like, so what the struggle, again, I just believe it's important for me to like show our viewers, like I can recognize the vulnerability and the issues that I'm having because I don't think I'm alone, mm. right? I think a lot of people are hopefully are going to watch this conversation and be like, I get that. And maybe they didn't know it at the time or they didn't know how to express it. My hope is that they see this conversation and they can relate to hopefully a lot of things of what you're saying, but also my perspective, and I guess the, the long part I'm trying to get to is, what is that balance between, I find when I'm not as involved, and I'm not at the practice, and I hear from their coach or their mom, how practice, they had a really good practice. And then, on the other hand, when I see them and they, they'll be like, Dad, are you coming to practice tomorrow? Yeah, of course, I'm gonna pick you up after school, and we'll get something to eat, and we'll go to practice. Oh, awesome. You want that? Yo, yeah, Dad, I want you to come. And I, but then we'll leave practice, and I'll be like, you weren't as good. So then I start saying to myself, like, you have your best games when I wasn't there. Not always. I'm generalizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I seem like you have so many great moments when I'm not there, but then obviously I want to be there. And I'm, but like, I find like after every play, they look. So like, there's this weird thing between they want me involved. I want to be involved. Is it better off that I'm not involved? And it kind of goes back to my first question, like, what is the best? I, I don't, and I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. At times I'm like, I think I should never come Yeah. and you'd be better. Well, but I then they say, dad, I can't believe you missed my game. Are you mm. coming back? And I'm like, well, and I'm gutted, you know, cause I missed something. Yeah. I really appreciate how you're trying to sort this out. Yeah. Right. Cause it's not simple. You no. love your kids and you want to see them do their I very best. I always say I almost love all these kids. I coach too much. Yeah. And I wish I cared less. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right. When you care, indifference is a bad quality, but it makes life a lot less stressful. It's one of the greatest insults we can provide another person is indifference and ignoring. It's one of the great, the worst thing you can do to another I, person. Right, but there's almost, as bad as it is, for selfishly, it's a lot easier way to go through life when you don't internalize everyone else's success or failure based on whether you did. Every time a kid does yeah. a bad job at one of my games, my first reaction is like, I'm doing a bad job with this kid. I got to find a way to get through to him and get and have him find success. Have yeah. him find, when he walks off this field, you got a base hit. And it might only be one out of five, but like it's better than zero. I, 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 I internalize I, all of that and then I like I harbor do. all of this responsibility, you know? You're going to make yourself crazy. Like, <laughs> I am crazy. Yeah, you're going to make yourself crazy. I am crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, like one of the things I think is really important that you're picking up on is that whatever they do on the field and they look up for approval, work on that one. 
positive feedback. That's no, that would be don't have them look at me. I would say, say, yeah, yeah. Like that's a, that's almost like the symptom that your approval matters more than the execution. Yeah, totally. You know, so then there's some pent up anxiousness about like, what did he think? What do you think? Imagine that if you looked over at your coach every time yeah. that you, you you dropped a ball or you made a touchdown looking for approval. Yeah. Like it would be. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. You yeah. Know, find their ability to find. I, well, I always say, be like, my, the, my kids are like, you, how'd you think I did? I'd be like, you know. Yeah, you know. I said, you know if that was good or bad. You don't need me to tell you. Yeah. I, so I would quickly, I'd say that and I'd quickly reframe to, um, uh, what, what did you figure out? What did you learn? Because they want they want approval from us. We are their providers. Yeah. We create safety for them. And so if we're not careful, the approval comes in the form of performance. And then what has up, ends up happening later is that they foreclose all of their identities for one. And that one identity is, I'm an athlete. And then now, it's that athlete part is about doing well for favor and approval of others. So as a younger adult, they go into whatever they're doing, and it feels like their whole life is at stake because our brain, their brains are lit up looking for approval because their identity is at stake. Because what do we do as kids or as, as parents and coaches is that we just focused on the doing. So for you, I would totally over-rotate on um, casting a light on other aspects because you have such a tall tent pole for them of your success. Yeah what you've done historically, you know, in the, in the yeah. game that you love. So I would over rotate on school and being a, you know, like social because their intensity and your intensity is going to take care of itself. I would over rotate on the other two. Yeah. I don't think we lack that part. No, I would over rotate there. <laughs> so I, I want to transition. We, we talked about the relationship between parents and coaches and the impact they can have on the, on the experience. Um, and we talked a lot about it from the parent perspective, but I just want to now, let's look at it from the other perspective, right? Like what, what messages would you give coaches? You know, something I'm a big believer in with my teams we've covered from the coaching perspective is all the qualities we talked about earlier, but also I'm a big believer in communication, right? Like when I bring up the team at the end of practice, I want the parents around. I want the parents to hear. I encourage our parents to come to practice. I want you at practice. I want you to hear you know, a lot of coaches at the end, they take their kids in the far corner of the gym or on the, on the field, in the outfield to talk to them in private. Like, I want the parents to hear my message to the kid. Very cool. I think it's important. Very cool. I think that transparency, they should know what I'm telling them. Because again, they're, they're my kids' ages, they're nine and 10 years old. If you got in the car and I asked my kid, what'd your coach say to you at the end? He could probably recite 10, 15% of it and probably not get the essence of what the message was. But I'd love to hear the message from the coach. Yeah. So now I flip my hat around and I want them to hear the good. I want them to hear the bad, the things we didn't do well, yeah. the things I feel really confident, the things maybe they can do outside of practice on their own to continue to increase their skills. So that's one philosophy that I have. But like, what would you see when you look, whether it's mastery coaches or youth coaches at rec girls volleyball? Like, what are the qualities in the coaching application that you feel transcend regardless of age group? Well, there's different focuses at different ages. And so there's a model called the long-term athletic development model, and it's a science-based model. And what they take a look at is like at the ages that you've been talking about with your kids around nine and 10, that it really is much more about fundamentals. And then there's, there's some other phases that kids go through. And so those phases are about training 
and then learning how to compete and then excelling, you know, in competition. So the American model is like this race to adult our children. And so fundamentals is like the age that you're talking about. So making sure that fundamentals are in place, technical, physical, and mental fundamentals. Okay. And then creating an environment that is stimulating. And that doesn't mean chill and relax. Yeah. It doesn't mean too hard. It just means that right little moment where, and you know it, when a kid is like this versus like this, or they're like, you know, whatever coach, you know, you want to find that right mechanism where they're just kind of on their front foot gravity, you know, is pulling them slightly forward, but they still feel balanced in attention. And so what am I saying is that um, it depends, but the essence is that you ask them. So that's mastery of older people. At a young age, you do a little bit of asking, what'd you feel? What'd you learn? What'd you think? What were the thoughts before? What were the thoughts after? You're asking them, to verbalize what is inside. It's brilliant. Now, it's probably at, at, at the nine... At the young age, it's hard. Yeah, call it 50-50. Okay. Maybe even if it's 80-20. Yeah. You know, 20% them talking, 80% you. More directive. Yeah. yeah. And then as we go up, we yeah, flip that. Flips, and you're course. asking more, more, totally. more of them. So um, so that would be the first thing is like... Yeah, that's interesting. Because I can see a very intel. difference between the way I feel like I have to be as a coach for nine and 10 year olds is very different than how a coach had to coach me. That's right. Yeah. It, that was a very different experience, right? We're, the way you know, we're operating is we're in constant feedback, constant reminders, constant both encouragement and corrections, and it really never ends, yeah. right? So we'll take baseball. We're in baseball season right now. When, when we're coaching our nine and 10 year old baseball teams, it's Johnny, Johnny, get your hands ready. Here we go, pitch is coming, hands forward, thumbs up, be on your feet prep steps. All right, reset, move over. You're too deep. Remember now, base hit, cut two. It's constant feedback. If they were in high school and college, the baseball coach is sitting in the dugout, chilling, eating sunflower seeds because it's just a different level. But threading that balance between overwhelming them with information, but if you don't give them, if you just sat there quiet, you would have a two hour game. And in my, and this is just my personal philosophy, I'd waste two hours of instruction. If I just sat on a bucket and hung out. And also, we recognize that we can't give too much information because there's a short circuiting that takes place, right? So little one cue that can prime four is what is a mark of great coaching and great parenting. One cue, thumbs up, you know, maybe that's not the right one. Elbows in, you know, like, so it's one cue that triggers three or four other things. And then as you start getting those triggers down, it's like... Oh, so they're just focusing on that one thing. Yeah. You know, that's why basketball, like elbow in, yeah. tends to kind of line some stuff that's up. That's interesting. Yeah. I spend so much time like thinking through like what are those triggers. The the other interesting balance that I find again firsthand as a coach, but and I'm sure a lot of coaches at the young age find is there is a balance between, and we touched on it earlier. I'd love to hear your perspective a little more deeply deeply. Development, developing every kid, developing every individual on the roster. And then threading that needle based on the level that you've put your child in of winning and competing and competition. And as you know firsthand, and we're all experiencing, competitive sports in America is getting younger and younger by the year, right? The days where it didn't start not, getting competitive. Not till the m- right trend. This is not the right trend for us, you know, and it is happening. We are skipping. The, listen, the, we need time to develop fundamentals. Yeah. You can't. If you accelerate that, and it sounds like you care about fundamentals. I care, the fundam, my entire philosophy of coaching young kids 
is we're going to do it right. Fundamentals, approach, listening skills. When a coach talks at you, pick your eyes up. The most beneficial part of my practice is the last five minutes when we break them down and we recap practice. You're going to stand still. You're not going to pack your bag. You're not going to pick your water cooler up a hundred times. I'm going to ask you for three to five minutes to stand still, look me in the face or look this guy in the face or whoever it is. And when someone's talking to you, you're going to talk. That has nothing to do with sports. And I would say, I said, whether you're in your classroom with your teacher or at home with your parents, give them your attention. And when I'm done talking, go run around and be nine. I don't care. Right. But like those to me are what matter the most. The winning in my belief is a product of doing all of those things. If I have kids that are technically sound, want to be there is huge. They're not there because their parents want them there. They're not there because their parents' friends are on the team. They want to be there. They do it. They are coachable. They do. We teach the technique. We have the right attitudes. We have the right, the winning will take care of it. And I think a lot of the guys and people think I care only about the winning. To me, the winning is the least important thing. We just happen to win a lot. Yeah. There you go. Right? Like, to me, that's, I think everyone looks at it backwards. Well, I love one of the practices that you have, which is at the end, there's a significant mo- yep. set of moments there for people and including the parents in, in it is fantastic. Yep. So you're right on the money there. Winning is a byproduct over indexing on technical training, physicalness, and then mental skills. Like that would be the essence of what fundamentals are. Yeah. And then, you know, just that balance is something, and again, it, it's not perfect. Everyone... I also have the belief that you can enter. There is an offering for every family based on what your child or what your family's into. You want a very highly competitive team, league, team, you can find that. You want the very carefree, one of the dads or moms coaches the team, it's casual, it's rec, everybody plays equal time. There's also that. So like my other belief is we have a responsibility of parents to put our child not on the safest team, we've covered that, but on the appropriate team. Because I believe that it's fair to them. If, if I went and put my son on this highly competitive basketball team or my daughter on a highly competitive soccer team and they weren't ready, yes, we want to challenge our kids, but we also can't crush them. No, th- right. it's a problem for a whole host of things. Yeah, yeah. and I, that's not the answer either. So I think there is this, again, back to all the decisions that need to be made, which weren't this way when I was a kid growing up. There was no decisions. You played for your town team until you went to high school and you played for your high school team and that was it. The decisions parents are making today start at eight years old, seven years old. Yep, it's happening. It's Whether we like it or not, it's happening. So the thing that I would add to the mix, and I'm coming from a very particular lens, is add the mental skills and yep. fold it into it so that we are, we are providing them with the requisite skills to deal with the fast-paced nature yep. of growth. Yep. And so these mental skills are not hard. You teach self-talk for confidence, you teach breathing for a sense of calmness, you teach imagery so they can use their imagination to see success in the future, you teach goal setting, which is writing down goals that are 100% under their control. And if you did those four things only, and you did that every month, one, one a week, you'd have a full curriculum for a month. That's great. And then you do it the second month, same exact ones. And you just hit those big four and you did it like if you had practice, what are your practices? Tuesdays and Thursdays, yeah, right? Twice a week, yeah. Twice a week. So you hit confidence Tuesdays and Thursdays and you're speaking to them about self-talk, using your own examples, asking them to talk about theirs, think about, show a video on your phone about like, what do you think Michael Jordan was saying to himself? Like, yeah. 
There's know, a lot of ways. There's to do a it. lot of ways to play with it, but it's it's self-talk, it's breathing, it's imagery and goal setting over and over and over again. So that when they get into high school, like they've got great command over that. That's really interesting. So so as we wrap here, and, and I know you talked about it earlier. What so we've we've covered so many different, and we could probably go on for two more hours. There's so many things to unpack here. But if I'm a fa- if I'm a family, I'm a parent, and I'm or a youth coach, whatever it is, and I get done watching this episode, and I hear all these conversations and all this insight, where aside, you know, obviously you're finding Mastery Podcast, and hopefully you think or resource, but like what are existing resources that are age and developmentally appropriate that I as a parent can now go out and seek and continue this conversation and continue to develop a better understanding of all of this that we've covered today. Okay, so I think. One of the national resources in the United States is fantastic. It's the Aspen Institute of Sport. And they've got a play model that takes a deep dive into youth sport. And so their website, that resource, is that is their commitment. And it's awesome. And so I would start there as an incredible resource. I would also, as parents and coaches, be well-versed with the long-term athletic development model. LTAD, it's known. Okay. It's research that was born out of Canada, and it is foundational to think about the developmental stages for uh, sport over a lifetime. And so LTAD. It's really interesting. And if you're a family that, can you, is there ever too late of a time to approach that model? No. If, if, if your child's 12 years old, and maybe they've been operating under a different philosophy, and you watch this podcast today, and we've reshaped your thinking and you go home today and you say, I'm adopting a long-term athletic development model from today on forward, is it ever too late? It's not too late. And I'd say the one thing that folks could rotate toward just a little bit more is seeing the essence of the human that you're wanting to coach your parent, like really understanding them. And that takes a full commitment over a lifetime or as long as we have with them to, to see the, the being before the doer. Yep. Coach the doing, but see the being. And then the other thing is teach mental skills. Fold it in every day, whether you're a parent or a coach. And then the third thing I would add to it is help them understand how to put words to their emotions and feelings and their thoughts and have them either write them down or share it with you. But you have to create space for that because it's very intimate. Support, then challenge. And that's hard for adults. (laughs) Yeah. Let alone. Because we weren't taught it. We weren't. This is not that hard. But we weren't taught it. was not it. something we were ever really encouraged to explore. You had to figure it out on your own, yeah. right? Like yeah. you figured it out by stick and tape and glue. And is that a, is that a generational thing? I know mm-hmm. people fall back on it's a different world, different generation. But is that true? Is that do you think that's and is science, that real? And science and wasn't our, there. is a lot of it's just understanding. We're more conscious of it now. We're, science is better at the application of the science of excellence. Which it's is not this. so much that we ignored it. We weren't so much that aware that it was even there. That's right. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, but before I let you go, I got three quick, three quick little things for you, and we're going to kind of put a bow on this conversation. So the first thing I have for you, what do you, as you look back, what are things you know now regarding youth sports and the application of it that you wish you knew or were available to you when you were a kid? That my identity was not attached to my outcome, my that's output. That's so important. Yeah, it's that I, I was an intact being that was separate and different but related to what I was able to express. So the expression part was is where judgment, critique, um, you know, the pressure comes from that. And if it wasn't good enough, I wasn't good enough. Or actually, it wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so being able to have that healthy separation between the two, I wish I had that better. That's really, that's, 
And I think that's something we all struggle with. I know for a long time, my identity as a person was always through my athletics. It was my outlet. That's right. And my parents exposed us to other things and they were always involved and loving and around and would push us, would comfort us, would support us, would bail us out of bad stuff. But like, as a family, we were all boys. My dad was a high school football coach. Both my parents were gym teachers. Like, athletics were what we did. And I think my brothers and I, our identity, it wasn't anyone's fault. We loved doing it. Like, at no point in my life, or my brothers, at no point did anyone ever force us to do anything. We very were, cool. yeah. yeah, but we cool. took it to a very high level and we were almost borderline obsessive of it. And I'm still relatively borderline obsessive, but it was always internal. And I see elements of that with my own children and other, other elements of my other children that don't have a lot of that. And I'm cool with both. So that's a really interesting perspective. As you look at the landscape today, like where does youth sports sit in this very moment in your mind, good, bad, in between? Incredible vehicle for growth, um, corrupted by adult anxiety. And so um, the average age that kids drop out of school is, or the average age that kids drop out of sport is before the age of 11. There's resources that are are a challenge. There's socioeconomic conditions that are a challenge. And that there's bad parenting, bad coaching when it comes to helping create the environment for kids to love to create and explore and get better. So it's, um, I'm bullish on it. I've learned so much from sport. It's been one of my greatest teachers and not the coaches, but the sport itself, the engagement of trying to figure out and unlock something has been one of the greatest teachers for me. And so uh, I'm concerned because we, we used to helicopter parent and now we're Zamboni parenting. Zamboni parenting is kind of getting the ice smooth so that there's an easy glide in life. Yeah. Man, like, that's not how it's it works. So, so it's just true, not true. how it works. That's a really, I've never heard it put that way. Yeah. But you, you just, you're in essence laying the path for them and you just tell them to stay between the guardrails and everything will work out and they have no ability to critical think, problem solve, deal with adversity, build a toughness, a grit, a resilience. That's right. And that's really, and I, again, I, to me, that's the whole idea of youth sports. Yeah, passion, perseverance, for the long-term Can you teach it? 100%. I completely agree. 100%. I've had this conversation with other parents and other people. They say, oh, your kid, oh, your kid, you know, he, he just loves it. Like, he, you know, he's just born that way. I said, maybe. But, like, I think it's been cultivated a little bit. Oh, yeah. I think you can learn perseverance. You can learn toughness and grit and 100%. dealing with adversity. But you can only deal with it if you allow your kids to be exposed to it. Yeah. Well, you need a yin and a yang. Yeah. It's not just a hammer for no. for every, you know, it's not all things are nails. Like, it's a yin and a yang. It's support and challenge. Support and challenge. That's really interesting. And the last thing I have for you before I let you go about your day is looking into the future. Like, what are the challenges now? We've established where we are in the moment. We've established some perspective looking back. Youth sports moving forward, like what does what are the challenges that as a whole youth sports is going to face in your mind moving forward? Access and coaching skills. So if we had more kids that had access, 50% of kids in, in uh, communities that struggle with resources report the reason they can't go to play sport, they would like to, 50% because of the demands of school. And some of the demands of school, it's not, and these are in lower resourced communities that I'm speaking to. It's, it's not just the school alone. 
it's because they also have to do some work. Home, they have to take life. care of some yeah, stuff. Right. You know, so they're raising younger siblings. They're filling in for mom and dad. Who are yeah, it's interesting. So there's that's one. So access is a real concern, and and the average cost is about fifteen to nineteen hundred dollars for one kid to experience sport outside of school for a year. Now, that seems in some of the programs I've been exposed to, that's on the low end. Ooh. And so, but that's the average cost, which is a high cost for families that are in the middle America, the middle socioeconomic yeah. status. That's a very high cost. So those, those two in one are one of them. And then the other is our, that mentorship, the six hours of mentorship from the coach, let's pour into them. Let's create systems just like in Europe, just like in Canada, where other countries have poured into the coaching standards, where the certifications are real. There is a, um, like a, a bit of like a, I'm a card carrier. I've done my training. It's yeah. And it's, a, it's really quite loose in, in the United States. Yeah. So I pour into the resources so that they can have great frames of reference, models, tactics to be great coaches. Yeah, and, and, and the coaching point I think is so interesting the way you frame it because it's, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you want your child to be exposed to quote unquote very good coaching, it tends to be in a more competitive streamline, right? And if you want your kid to be more in an instructional, developmentally appropriate at a younger age, and you want your kid to be exposed to that, it's really just dads who after work are just figuring it out. They're Googling things, how to run a soccer. And a lot of people like me don't want are struggling both, so guess what? I end up doing it myself. Yep. So that's why the Aspen Institute of Sport is a is a it's great really interesting. It's a really nice resource. And I would love to drop my kid off at every one of his sports and be his dad and help out a little bit and give my two. And if the guy needs help running practice, great. But like, this is a really high qualified coach to coach this sport. Take a step back. But if the void's there, I fill it. It's just my nature, and then it and then it leads to the entire rest of the conversation. It's a challenge. It is. I'll just quickly share is that yeah. I dropped my son off, and um, or my wife does, and he's coached, fortunately, by um, an Olympian. Yes. And it's he's running the team practice, and it's like, I'm not doing a thing. And it's, that's such a night. And what so a position all, what I do is I parent. I, I see the being. I love him for going for it. And he's got a really intense, great coach that's doing that bit. If the coach was aggressive or abusive or too intense and it was overwhelming, I'd pull my kid right out of there. I would go to a lower quality, and he's, he's uh, 14, I would go to a lower quality technical coach, but a higher skilled developmental, emotionally and mental coach to create that wellness over a lifetime. And listen, even if he really cares about getting better, you get some privates. You know, you, yeah, you, you can go, supplement. Yeah, and or you go start going on Bing or Google or whatever your search engine is to find out what can I do with my kid in my garage or my front yard yeah. or like what are yeah. some fundamentals that I can yeah. reinforce and have fun with. Yeah, so. and that's a conversation for a whole nother episode because the opportunities out there in today's world to get specialization and yeah. instruction and that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Well, Mike, that was an unbelievable conversation. That, that's exactly why we thought your voice was the voice to kick this entire journey off. Um, you opened up my eyes to a lot of new things, a lot of I think you put us in some interesting directions that we are now as a, as a show going to go and explore that maybe we weren't aware of in the beginning. So that was exactly why we reached out to you. I just think your voice and your perspective and, and your experience in this world was so important for our viewers to sh evaluate where they are personally. And if they're not happy with what they see, 
like I asked you, it's never too late to alter your approach, right? It, it's not, there's no finite beginning and end to this whole life cycle. And uh, anyone who wants to follow or hear more of you, fi Finding Mastery, your podcast, they can find that anywhere their pods are available. Um, I've written a book with Pete Carroll. I know we talked about that earlier, but uh, you are amazing. I want to say thank you. Your body of work is extraordinary and your passion to develop the next generation is felt. And thank you for including me in it. And this is going to be a great resource for folks that you're creating. We think so too. Well, I appreciate it, Mike, and uh, appreciate your voice and time today. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation because I know I can, I can think back to sitting there across from Michael for hours and just exploring all these different areas, personally reflecting, you know, kind of thinking back to maybe something he said that resonated with me, and all the while thinking, if this is hitting so close to home to me and there's so much relatable information, I can only imagine there has to be millions of people out there listening to this saying, I get it. I've been there. I've had those conversations, whether out loud or just internally with myself that I'm coming away from this a little more prepared for that next hard conversation with their child or maybe that next difficult conversation with their coach. And if there's just one aspect that each viewer gets, and it, and it very well could be something different that, that, that's stuck with them, then mission accomplished. The purpose of that conversation, as we said at the top of the show, was to kickstart us into all these different avenues, into all these different directions and explore this world of youth sports. And, and I know from having the conversation and then going back now and listening to it, every time I listen to it, I come away with a, a, little, bit of a, different, a little bit of a different piece. And I think that's the exciting part because we don't, we don't know exactly where this journey is gonna go, but I'll tell you what, we've gotten off to a great start because the conversation with Michael Gervais was just, was just fascinating. If one thing that I took from that conversation, and this could be very different from anyone else who listened to it, is he, towards the end of our conversation, he, his advice to me was over-rotate. Meaning, you spend all this time, you don't want your children to feel like your identity has to be their identity. They're gonna get that passively just by being around your family and the things they're exposed to and the things they're interested in will gravitate towards sports and competition and whatnot. He goes, really, really overemphasize school, the arts, books. Spend more time on the other areas of their life. The sports area is always going to get attention. And I just thought that was such great advice, especially, you know, and again, this hit home personally to me. Maybe there was another something else that someone else, they took it, but it just made so much sense where, hey, my kids are passionate about their sports. All their sports are different. They're into it. They're gonna, that, that's going to take care of itself. We're going to spend time on that because that's where their love is. But let's spend an equal amount of time on developing the entire person, the entire being, the entire child. Because one day when that sport ends, it cannot be their identity. That, all of a sudden when that sport could be high school, could be college, whatever that, whatever that, that time is, you need to make sure that there's a whole being there that's ready to live the rest of their life. Now, it's a big part. Sports could be a very big chunk of your life, but for the vast majority of this population, it's not going to be their career. It's not going to be their, it's not going to be their calling. And we need to teach these kids that that's okay. We are not playing 10-year-old baseball because you're going to play in the major leagues one day. And, and I, I just felt like that was such sound advice. And again, that was something that resonated with me.
from, for our family and personally, but I just feel like there's so many great nuggets, so many pieces, pieces of advice and was the perfect way to kickstart this conversation and this journey. And we are so excited now to see where this journey leads. We have some really cool conversations that we've already had with some really unique and, and interesting people and also some really cool ideas and some different paths that we're gonna go forward and we're gonna challenge ourselves. We're gonna challenge our established, you know, kind of train of thought and what, what we've been trained to think and what we've been conditioned to think and say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna step outside of our comfort zone here at Think, and we're gonna make sure that we go out and we get all perspectives and we can package it all, bring it to you, our viewer, and really build this notion that we are on this journey together Everyone's going to take their own individual parts out of it that are going to best serve their families, best serve their children. Because at the end of the day, that's the mission, that's the passion, and that's the journey of you think. We hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed these first few conversations. It's been, it's just been incredible. It's been, it's been quite an experience for me. Um, as always, we'd love you guys to go on, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Make you think a part of your weekly routine. Make you think a part of your family's journey, particularly as it comes to youth sports. So thank you again to our sponsor, Invisalign. Um, you Think is brought to you by Audiorama. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week on all our future episodes as we continue this journey together. Thank you guys for trusting us, and we'll talk to you soon.